Hi friend, I'm Tanya Gill. Welcome to Lighten Up and Unstuck Your What the Fuck. Together, we explore the ways through life's stickiest moments and how to live with more peace, joy, love, and gratitude. We're going to talk honestly about what isn't easy so you can discover the light within you that will carry you forward. My friend, this podcast is about you in real life, your body, mind, and soul, and the opportunity to not only live your best, but shine doing it. Thank you, friends, for joining us today again. I am so fortunate to have with me Heidi Dunstan. Heidi and I have a tragic, a truly tragic similarity. Um, And I'll let you talk a little bit about that, Heidi. But as a heads up to our listeners, Heidi is a certified grief educator, and she's here to help you and help the rest of us understand the way forward in loss. Because the truth is, we all are going to experience it. And we don't really know how to deal with it sometimes. Heidi, your, your business is called Lean Into Grief, and you, you feel that your purpose is to help other people understand how to lean in and support people when they've lost someone. Um, thank you so much, Heidi, for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tanya. I, um, I want to start with your what the fuck moment. Um, will you tell us about that? Yeah. So two days after Christmas in 2018, um, I'd heard rumors that my husband, my common law husband, Mike had planned a surprise birthday party for me. Um, the 28th was my 40th birthday and, you know, I'm not exactly great with surprises. So I found out that I had 40 people coming the next day for my party and his menu choice was chicken wings and cake. And uh, I'm German. I'm the guy, but that might not yeah. be enough, babe. I love you, but yeah, exactly. So I suggested we maybe hit up Costco, and I thought maybe I could enhance the menu. And while at Costco, he said he wasn't feeling well. He kind of felt like he had the flu. We came home, and my vehicle was in the driveway, and his truck was, or no, his truck was in the driveway. He was driving my vehicle, and um, he said, "I'm just going to pull my vehicle up to the parking lot." And so I pulled the car in brought a load of groceries into the front of the house, came out and he'd fully collapsed in the driveway from a massive heart attack and um, called 911. He was a retired fireman, the fire halls across the street. They were there in three minutes. I had started CPR and an hour later, they called time of death. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Um, You get it. I know. I do get it. I do get it. And you know, Hearing other people's stories of loss, <laughs> my experience of it is always like, oh my God, like, first of all, the shock. Second, your soulmate is gone. Third, you're talking about the timing of it all. And it's like, fuck me. It's Christmas, your birthday, a party, all the pieces. And your whole world has changed in that moment. Yeah. And you know that I too am a widow and my journey was longer ago. My husband died in November of 2007. We were on a family vacation in Mexico. 
my husband left me poolside in the morning and said I was, he was going for a walk on the beach. And the commotion around the pool that nobody else seemed to see but me indicated something was wrong. So I took my baby, eight months old, left my four-year-old playing an activity with another mom and walked over to see what was going on. And they were pulling him out of the water. And I threw, and as I walked up, this woman looked at me and she's like, somebody drowned. And I threw Isaac into this woman's arms and I went running down to the beach and they wouldn't let me near him and they were pulling on me. And again, I knew he was gone. Like I could see, like, it's an interesting thing. Death, you don't realize how much spirit lives in someone until you, until it's absent. And like you, and like anyone who loses someone they love, I think we all just, our world fucking stops and also implodes and is moving so fast at the exact same time. Yeah. And, and, you know, I personally had a lot of people come to me for help in the grieving process. And what I really, really love and respect about you is that you are there to help people help those grievers. I know in my own experience, I've always said, I'm going to write a book called stupid things. People say when John dies, because people said some stupid things. And, you know, I don't think that it is their fault. It's just that they too are grieving and they don't know what to say. I agree. So how do you help people with that? One, I talk about grief and I, and I talk about it not just being when somebody dies. I talk about it just being loss. It could be relationship loss. It could be health and cha- health of change in health, change in finance. It could be um, miscarriage, things like that. Um, pet loss, emptiness syndrome. So I educate people about grief because again, we don't talk about it. Um, and then I talk about where people are at and the fact that they're not okay the fact that they don't want to be fixed the fact that you know we need to actually hold space and something as simple as changing the words so instead of asking a griever how are you asking how's today because how are you means you're supposed the person's supposed to answer they're good fine or okay and they're none of those oh oh my god Heidi you know what I always used to say I was fine do you know what fine stands for fucked on the inside nice exterior yeah exactly because that's what people want too people want so desperately to see grievers go back to normal but they don't like they don't recognize that that normal is never going to be what it was no exactly right yeah i agree so you know i teach people like how to hold space and how to you know when when you see somebody crying to say Instead of saying, don't cry, say, I see you. I see you're hurting. You know, don't cry. It'll make me cry. Well, that means it's about you and not them. And, you know, or even just avoiding statements like, at least they're not suffering anymore, or at least they're with God now. And and it's like the person right in front of you is suffering. And so so a a couple of things that you shared. Um, The first is, um, at least they're with God now. 
That's a really tough one. That was a real trigger for me because we didn't have, John grew up with a faith base and right before he died, he actually removed himself from the church registry very intentionally and said, you know, I just don't feel aligned with that faith. Um, And that was the church registry from his childhood. So we weren't actively religious or participating in any kind of faith base when he passed. After he died, a lot of people wanted to, well, and they gave me books about about their faith and they wanted, you know, to talk about how he was with God. And I was very clear that that was not a message I wasn't, I was comfortable with having with my kids because they didn't have an understanding of God. And the day of his death, he actually, or the day of his funeral, sorry, the day of his funeral, someone in my home actually commented that he was with God. And, and my son who was four overheard it. And that night he actually said, can we please phone God? And I was like, what, what, what? And he's like, well, I want to talk to dad. And if dad's there with him, like, can we? And I was like, holy F, like, this is another layer of conversation, right? So understanding that context too is also really super important. Well, and I even say to people, like, I, I have a number of friends who are, have very deep faith mm-hmm. and death rocks your sense of faith. Like, and so when somebody passes, I wait until they tell me where, where they're at with God. Cause mm-hmm. some people are really mad at God yeah. and it isn't my place to tell them, you know? And, and I just look at it saying like, we just need to see these grievers, you know? And when you don't have words, that's when you say, I don't have anything to say, but you're important to me. And I'd like you, I'd like to be with you if you're comfortable with it, but saying nothing is deafening. Right. That that silence is deafening and just seeing somebody. And and I also talk about judgment and grief because grief is as individuals, our fingerprint and we judge people, how they grieve. We don't judge people, how they celebrate. If you watch America's got talent and you watch the golden buzzers, they all celebrate differently. And we never judge that, but we judge how people live in pain. Oh my God. Oh, that is such a powerful statement, Heidi. We judge how people live in pain. It, and it is true. I um, I know I experienced judgment. I experienced isolation from couple friends. I experienced situations where people said they would never date me because I was John Gill's widow. I experienced people who judged me when I started dating and when I continued dating and when I started and ended a lot of relationships because I was like, nope, but I wouldn't give up trying. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is a lot of judgment in that. You know, it's funny you say about how people don't know what to say. And I remember one of the things that I had a lot of people say to me that actually really triggered me in some ways but I couldn't tell them that was when they would say things like tell me what I can do and it's like uh like I'm working on breathing and trying to keep my kids fed I actually can't tell you what I need like I can't and so you know I think one of the things that 
grievers can learn or people who are supporting grievers, because the other thing we have to recognize is that other people may be grieving too, right? Mm -hmm. So in my own grief, I had these grievers who were also trying to grieve their own stuff like you did. And, and it's like the invitation of just being present, like you said, is so powerful. You know, my best friend showed up every single morning with a bagel and a hot chocolate for months and she we would sit on the couch and cry and that was she and and she just like seriously sit there and let me breathe yeah that's so powerful yeah and and it's it's about reaching out knowing that grief doesn't have a timeline because I believe grief is love and I will love Mike to the last breath I take so that means I will grieve him to the last breath I take And so I appreciate it when people reach out on his, I call it his wing anniversary, the day he got his wings um, and say, Hey, I'm thinking about you today or on my birthday going, they don't say happy birthday. They say, I'm sending you a hug on your birthday. You know, that they acknowledge the fact that those aren't easy days for me anymore. And they just, they witness it. And they, you know, I know that they don't naturally remember it. I know that they've put a note in their calendar but I appreciate that they've done that, 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 that three years later, I'm still getting those messages and that people go, hey, she's still hurting. And, and it can make such a big difference because those days come and they're hard. And, you know, they can be years later. And I know people 10 years later and they're like, nobody remembers my husband. Nobody remembers my, my best friend that died or my sibling. And when we can just honor that by just putting a note in our calendar that reoccurs once a year, it can make such a huge difference in seeing somebody on a, on a hard day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if that's a, if that's a piece of advice that I, I think that every listener needs to hear, put it in your calendar and just send some love to that person that day. I know for me, like we're, well, my youngest turned 15 a couple weeks ago. So we're going on to our 15th and I don't call it an anniversary. I actually call it death day. And yeah. some people are startled by that. Like, I know you call it the day he got his wings. Um, for me, it's death day. And, and we do, we all have certain days. For me, it's his birthday, which is exactly one month before his death day. So the window between his birthday and his death day generally are a little harder and stickier for me. And I've learned how to lean into that instead of away from it. It, it. It is interesting though, that I, I think that there's an assumption for a lot of people that you get over losing someone And you don't ever get over it. You move through it. Like you said, I will love John until I take my last breath. And yes, I am fortunate enough to have found my second soulmate in this life, but it doesn't in any way minimize my love for John. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me too, like, it was important to me that I would never partner with someone who didn't accept John as being a part of our life. And I'm so grateful because Peter even had surprisingly unbeknownst to me, it was a little overwhelming, but he actually had vows in our wedding vows to John. So, you know, to me, that speaks to understanding that that love doesn't die and that 
he's a part of us still and and that we do continue to move through it i i i too have moved into the dating scene and have met some people along the way that were great people but they were like i can't deal with the fact that you still love your husband and i'm like they have children there's these new men they have children and i'm like so when you had your second child did you stop loving your first yeah and they're yeah. like no and i said what's the difference i said love grows and i said and if you can see how much i love mike you can actually see how much i could possibly love you and if you can't see that as a, as an opportunity and something to embrace then we aren't meant to be together yeah and you know heidi that is that speaks to your love and your own personal strength and your knowing, right? That is your knowing of what you deserve. Yeah. And, and the right person will come and accept and understand and embrace and not see themselves as living in the shadow of a dead person, mm-hmm. but instead see themselves as an opportunity to make a friend that they never knew. Yeah. Right. And, and if done well, and I think we've done it well because Peter has two children. So we have a blended family and we were on a hike last summer and we passed a person on a trail who looked like John and the kids turn around and looked at me with giant eyes after we passed him. And they were like, he looks like John. And I, I was like, oh my God, he did. But what was so crazy about it is they know John to be a part of our family in such a way that they were like, holy, like, whoa, right? But it wasn't like it was a huge disruption in our lives. It was just like a, a cool, like, hey, it kind of feels like John's with us. That's cool. That's super cool. Right? Yeah. So, and, you know, for people who don't know what to say to someone who's grieving, you can remember too, like, even the stories of that person don't be afraid to share those yeah like at our wedding john's best friend attended and one of my son's favorite memories was that the boys sat with him in the hammock and he told them stories about my husband as a teenager my first husband yeah and like what a gift that is it is and it is the memories that we have to that we really only have to hold on to right well and I believe it's it speaks to legacy which I think my my next book is about it's about Mike's legacy and the importance of legacy and our duty um, as people who are carrying the torch of John and Mike's legacies is to carry that that and it speaks beautifully on how you've done that to go you know this isn't just something I'm going to put in a box and I'll open it up once or twice a year it's like you've, he's intertwined in your life. He's still, you've kept his legacy alive by choosing to do the things that you've done and you've done them intentionally because it's important to you and it's important to your children and, and to your family. And legacy is, is so critical. I think it's, it's does us a disservice when we don't find places and spaces to honor our people. Honoring our people. 
and, and, and I think we also need to recognize that honoring our people is done in different ways too. Like I know for me, um, our experience of scattering John's remains, we did a hike and, and scattered John's remains on what was his favorite hike in his favorite national park, which is Waterton International Peace Park. And it was a hike that I had never been able to do because quite honestly, I wasn't physically fit enough. And um, so the first time I got to do that hike was carrying his remains on my back. Um, And we were surrounded with loved ones and there were a group of us that went up and we scattered his remains. And, and I chose not to have him in a cemetery, but his parents wanted to have a plaque for him in the Waterton cemetery, which made sense to me too. But even the decisions around that, I mean, it's very hard because, because everyone has an opinion on what should be done with remains, what should, what a funeral should look like, what all of the things, everyone has an opinion. And and it's really important to just honor those, those close people who maybe knew not only what they need, but also what that deceased person would have wanted. Right. And then, you know, you talk about legacy and how over time people forget. Um, And that has been an experience for me because he was a pillar in the community. He was a crown prosecutor. They closed the courthouse when they found out because the judges couldn't go forward. Everyone was in shock. It was, it was a big deal. And now, you know, some people know I'm John Gill's widow and some people don't even know who John Gill was. And that also brings up different pieces of stickiness too. Right. And then you kind of realize that the people he's meant to be, to remain in the memories of are the ones that will. Yeah. But that you're writing a book in legacy is also so beautiful. When is it, where are you at in your writing? About half. I'm hoping to get it to the editor in a month. Um, And basically it's my story of losing Mike and the legacies I carry on of him. And then also 10 of our friends have shared the impacts of losing him and how they've interwoven pieces of him in their lives. And really just a great tribute. Mike was a, a beautiful soul. Like he just, he was 24 years my senior. So he was in his 60s. He was just larger than life a big kid love like I have photos of him in restaurants with cloth napkins on his head making a nine-year-old child smile like he just he was just that guy right like when I asked him why did you choose to be a fireman he's like I was going to be a cop or a fireman he's like firemen have water fights I thought it'd be more fun you know like he was just that guy right like and so I just I want a place and space where he can be honored and I mean there was hundreds and thousands of people that love Mike. Um, The book could be an encyclopedia set. Um, So to find just 10 was, was, it was hard to slim that one down, but just find a place where we can honor him and then give some examples of people to people because lots of people think legacy should be like a namesake or on a building or a, a statue or a big scholarship fund. And I believe it can be those little moments. It could be that flower you plant in your garden every year. It could be the, the recipe that you make because that's what your mom always made. It could be 
you know, the records that you listen to, because that's what your sibling did and finding places and spaces where we can honor our people and share the stories and share the laughter and share the, share the tears too. Oh, that's so beautiful. And oh, that is so beautiful. In the simplest ways we do share legacy. We do, we share legacy in the simplest ways. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be costly and it doesn't have to be some, a monument, right? It's true. It is those little things. And (laughs) can I share you, can I share a really funny legacy story with you? I'd love it. So in my family room, I have this big picture of John and he's standing in front of a river and he's got a pair of blue. They're not even Crocs, actually. They're called holy souls, but they look like Crocs. So blue Crocs on his feet. And it just captures him so beautifully. Like he loved nature, but he also had a little bit of a goofy side and whatever. It was just, it's an awesome picture. So after he died, um, that was the photo that I blew up for his memorial and then it's on our family room wall and since then those blue crocs have been a part of our life I have never put them away people have thrown them on at the back door so many people have walked in John's shoes it's not even funny awesome and then on Sunday we have a new dog and and she kind of got a hold of the blue crocs and kind of chewed the shit out of them. Now I have all the pieces and I'm actually planning to try and duct tape them together because it actually just makes the story even better. Even better, yeah. But Peter, my my husband was like waiting for a reaction. And I just went and gathered the pieces and put them on the shelf and I was like, okay, we'll see if we can fix them and he was just like waiting, waiting, thinking I was going to And I said to him, I said, "We've had 14 and a half years with these shoes." How many feet have been in them? Like, this is amazing. And they're not destroyed. I'm going to find a way to fix them. But like, I'm so glad I didn't put them away. Because people know those are John's. And people choose to stick their feet in them and walk out to the hot tub or walk out to the garage to get a drink or putter around in the yard. And it's not just our family members. It's been our friends. And it's been like, people have experienced the legacy of him by throwing on a silly pair of blue Crocs. Yeah. So cool. Right. Like it is so cool. It is so cool. Tell me how you continue the legacy in your life. Uh, So Mike um, being a first responder, he, but he was also a man who loved random acts of kindness. And so anytime we were at a 7-Eleven or a grocery store or whatever, if there was a first responder in line, he'd pay their tab. And oftentimes he'd find a way to do it that they wouldn't know. And um, so I still do that. And I've, the first time I got to do it, it was probably about four or five months after Mike passed. So I, I'm sure you know that that's, I, I call it the apop- apop- apocalyptic time. You're a zombie. And um, yeah. I was- that's a good way to call it. That's a good yeah. name. I was reading a lot of the social media posts and starting to see how people were remembering Mike and how they were embracing his legacy. And I was like, I want some of that. I'm tired of feeling like fucking shit. Yeah. And 
Um, I was going to teach a class at a college and I stopped to pick up some treats for the students because it was early morning, which isn't my forte even before grief, but after grief, it was even worse. And lo and behold, there's two cops standing behind me. And so I paid their bill without them knowing and cops being cops, they saw me in the parking lot waved and I'm bawling in the car, like just totally felt closer to Mike, felt the fog dissipate and, and it was a few months later that I was shopping with my mom. We were going to out actually by your house um, down south and uh, picking up a big meat order. And an RCMP officer came in and my mom had gone outside and I paid for his order. He was right behind me. And I just said to the lady, hey, like, do you mind covering, putting his tab on mine? And I come out and we had a big order so I had to take the cart back in so I blew my own cover and I had to talk to this RCMP officer on my way out and my mom was now giving me the like what the fuck did you do (laughs) and so I said well I paid his bill and she's like well why did you do that and I was like that's what Mike always did and it was the look on her face I mean I was crying and she was started to cry and she saw that my grief had changed that it had shifted right like was it gone no but it was it had changed. She knew that I was trying to find a way to make meaning. And I mean, you have to remember that my mom walked with me on all those hard days. She was there. I mean, I called her to the hospital as, as I was in the police car following the ambulance. Right. Um, I was, she watched her daughter endure a pain that she hadn't experienced yet herself and one that she could never take away. And so to see that interaction, it was just like, and now I get to do it all the time. It happens so frequently and to buy a coffee and a donut or, you know, a cop car behind me and a drive through, it's like, add their total to mine, like without question. And it just, and Mike always did it. I always asked him why he did it. And he said, I like knowing that these people know that they're seen, not just when the car, when the truck rolls up, not just during the emergencies that people see them in the community. They see that there's value in them. He's like, it is really hard when we only get seen on the hard days. So I'm honored to be able to do it for him. It is so beautiful. But it's cool. It is, and it's such a cool way to continue Mike's legacy in, and, and, you know, and what I love about it is, is it's sharing the love, right? That's what it's really about. It's about sharing the love and saying, I see you. We are a common humanity. Yeah. We are in this together. Mm-hmm. And that's where compassion comes from. Compassion comes from just seeing other humans as having their human experiences and then recognizing that we too are humans having our human experience too. And it, it, you know, it's, he never, most of these people never knew he was, he walked the lines with them. They didn't know he was a fireman that he spent 30 years with Calgary fire, like no clue, but he's just like, I see you and I want you to be seen right now. And it didn't have to be big. And it's, it's really a cool way to be able to fill my cup in a gentle way and embrace like just have those moments and I I know Mike still watches over me he's a part of my big part of my life now and I know that on some of those hard days he puts those first responders behind me in line or in front of me in line and I know he does it so that it can warm my heart and remind me that of what's important right 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I get that. You know, people, some people have different beliefs. I believe that John has become one of my angels. I know that he watches over me. I know that he supports us. I know that he loves our life and he's in it in all the what the Fs that we're in now and moving forward. Um, and he also does leave us signs. Great. But the other thing that's so cool is that, you know, you talk about feeling that connection to him in those moments, right? And and that's the other piece of legacy is that we get that opportunity to to really feel that connection when we actively make a choice to spread love. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, the cool thing is like, that's, that is the beauty of legacy. You spread love. You don't need like the accolades. You don't need the anything. You just need to, to keep scattering the seeds of love, seeing people, recognizing them and just being exactly what Mike said. I see you. Yeah. I see you and what's gorgeous about it is you know with with lean into grief and being a certified grief educator you're teaching people how to say and show up for people in grieving and find the right way to say i see you yeah yeah my hope is is that you know, somebody, a lot of times when we're dealing with grievers, it's those moments where we want to run away. We want to say, I'm sorry for your loss and send the flowers, go to the funeral. And that's it. And my hope is that those moments when you feel like running away, that I teach you the tools on how to lean in and, and be able to see somebody so that we can all grieve with grace. And it's a gift that you don't just give that griever. It's a gift to give yourself. Grief is love and love is connection. And so as as soon as you can connect with somebody, I mean, I can remember all the people that disappeared, but I can tell you, I embrace all the people that embraced me. And I I, I was grateful. I had, I had angels that I had people that disappeared, but I also had angels that showed up that I didn't expect. Me too. And they showed up really beautifully. And they are ones that I treasure and cherish for the rest of my life. They showed up on the days when I wasn't able to show up for myself. I was broken. And I needed to be seen. I needed to be embraced. And I don't, I want other people who are experiencing loss to be able to have that opportunity as well. To have their friends and loved ones show up in ways that they didn't expect. You know, to be able to go to work and have somebody say the right thing instead of the you know, you're distracted or you're not doing your job right. Or, you know, acknowledging, Hey, I'm glad you showed up to work and wearing pants. Cause I know you're grieving and it's hard as hell. Right. You know, like it's, it's time that grief shows up at our tables. It's time that we start to see it. And I think COVID has taught us that grief is everywhere and it isn't just about when somebody dies, but I think we can really start to start to embrace people and say, Hey, I see that this is hard see that that's a significant loss for you and I want you to know you don't have to do it alone one of the things I notice is that grief is never sexy grief is not sexy at all nobody's like let's belly up and talk about grief and loss now 
They don't. Yeah. It's it's like it's like it is. It's a turn your tail and fucking bolt because it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. It's sticky. You, it and and everybody's experience is different. I really appreciate that early in our conversation, you pointed out that grief is not just the death of someone you love. Because a lot of people think that grief is, is kind of exclusive to death of someone you love. And like you said, the loss of a pet, divorce, a job change, a health issue, all of these things are different kinds of grief and loss. And we experience them and we still grieve. And we grieve the loss of normal. We grieve the loss of a, you know, people, I hear stories all the time of kids or even adults that have endured trauma at the hands of their parents. They grieve the loss of a parent that didn't show up the way they needed them to. Right? Like grief is everywhere. Our, our kids grieve beautifully. Toddlers, when their pet rock disappears or their balloon floats away or their ice cream hits the ground, they grieve beautifully. And if we could t- talk to them, in that grief of saying, Hey, that was important to you. I see you're sad. Instead of let me get you a new pet rock or let's get you a new ice cream. Acknowledge the grief. You can actually work your grief muscles so that when you're dealing with these bigger losses and then the other side of grief is turn the Wi-Fi off when you've got teenagers, that's grief too. They don't grieve as beautifully as a toddler. They usually have some nastier words for you, but that's grief too. And instead of being like, you know, not acknowledging their feelings, acknowledge them. And it'll help you to move through some of these hard times with these people that you love and care about that are hurting. It's true. And grief is for the living. Grief is not for the dead. It is, it is the path of choosing how to continue to live forward. And we are human beings. We are made of love. We are born of love. We die of love we return to love Mm -hmm. and all we really want is to love and be loved and in grief that's what we need even more even though we don't know how to ask for it and I know for me like sometimes I felt myself pushing people away and I was in a real struggle because I was like I need space but I need you I need space but I need you and I'm fortunate enough that I've had people who have been able to do that dance with me over time. Thank God they've been, they've thank you to those of you who have been so patient with me. Thank you. Thank you. Because it is, it's a dance, right? It is a dance. And, and it's also recognizing that other people are grieving too, and that we're in this really messed up dance together. So sometimes we tango, sometimes it's a fucking mosh pit right and sometimes I'm by myself dancing in a closet yeah but it is it's like it's there's an ebb and flow to it right there is and I think I think as grievers we armor up when we go outside I know I did oh yeah and it meant that there was times that I wasn't able to be seen and I mean after Mike died I lost 30 pounds in the first three months and people were, and I got some weight on me, Tanya. I, I could use stand to lose a bit more even. And people were like, you look fabulous. Like you look so amazing. And I only had one friend who could acknowledge you haven't been eating. Right. Oh. Isn't it totally people are like, oh, you look so good. Or how about, oh my God, are, are you okay? 
Yeah. Like I'm seeing changes and these worry me. Yeah. Like, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I could stand to lose the weight, but just to say, Hey, like you've endured a lot of stress and stress causes weight loss. What's going on? Like, how can we, you know, and my friend was like, it's gotta be hard to be eating by yourself. And I was like, yeah, I hate it. She's like, I'd like to have you over for dinner. I'll bring you dinner. Like, and I'd like to eat with you. And why don't you come for a sleepover and just brought company? Cause she acknowledged the fact that the, I was lonely, you know, cause there's a ton of loneliness and grief, especially in those early days, weeks, and months. And so step up. And when you know that they're lonely, step, lean in and say, let's do something different. If you know that somebody talks to their mom every day on their drive home, phone, say, hey, I want to talk, talk to you right now so that that ride home isn't quiet. We just deserve to be seen. And I think our relationships with people will be better. You know, when I look at how many grievers end up with a whole new set of friends because they just don't feel like they're seen by those old people. And it isn't out of malice or ill intent. It really is because the lives have changed and the education isn't there. And when somebody can go, hey, I see you. You grieve differently than me, but I see that you're grieving. And I just, I want to be with you. And let go of the judgment. Like that judgment piece is so big. I believe judgment is grief's kryptonite. When we judge or self-judge ourselves, it just really stops the process of being able to move through the emotions. Just embrace each other and see that grief is love. And when there's deep grief, it's because there is deep love. Wouldn't hurt if we didn't love our people. It is the ultimate price we pay, right? It's the ultimate price we pay for love. But would you do it again? Yeah. Love is priceless and it's worth it. Yeah. Right? It is. And I think when we can see each other in those moments and places and spaces and honor that, you know, it'll start to, um, and be able to support each other. It will dissolve those things like widow's clubs because the widow's clubs are there because we, we feel like that's where we connect because we feel seen there. And I would love to see those clubs dissipate so that people go, I see, I see you're grieving. Not to say I don't find value in them, I do, but I really would love it that all those women and men in those groups say, I've got people that got me. I got people that see me. And we don't need a special club just because our, our spouse died. Yeah, yes, yes. We don't need a special club. We don't need closed doors that we can hide behind to actually grieve openly. We can do it with the people that we love in our life and in our whole space because grief isn't always unraveling and bawling. Sometimes it's hysterically laughing your ass off because he stuffed the shed full in a disaster area. And then in the spring, when you open the shed door and everything tumbles out, you're like, fucker's not even here to fix it because he's gone, right? You laugh. And then, and, and that's the other thing. Like when you get to a space where you can, make jokes a little bit about having lost your your person that creates another level of discomfort so that's when you also have to say I see you and I can laugh with you because yeah you know you have to be able to share that space too yeah 
Yeah. I mean, Mike, Mike was the fix it guy. He was a general contractor. When shit broke in the house after he died, I was like, you're a real dick for dying. Like, and people were like, this was months after. And they were like, what? And I'm like, that's how we talked to each other before. Like, you know, like, I'm not going to stop talking to him the way that we talked before. Like, it just, it's about being real. And it's about yeah. saying, hey, this is where it's at. And, you know, it's. I mean, even when I did Mike's eulogy, the pastor said, I'm glad I spoke before you. He's like, because you had people laughing, you had people crying, you had them laughing, crying at the same time. And I was like, because that's how Mike and I were. Yeah. I'm not going to let it be anything other than that. You know, and we just get to acknowledge and carry on these great relationships that we have with our people and say, hey, it's allowed to have this space on, on in the in the living in the now and and that is actually the most beautiful gift of legacy is being Agreed. able to share space in whatever is with those other living beings yeah because it is grief is about the living right and so it's being able to share that oh my gosh Heidi if people want to continue this conversation with you how do they get in touch with you uh, visit my website, HeidiDunstan.ca, H-E-I-D-I-D-U-N-S-T-A-N.ca, or check out um, Lean Into Grief on Instagram or Facebook, or I'm often on Clubhouse as well. Amazing. Amazing. I will make sure that we have all of your contact information in the show notes. Thank you. Before we close, what is your greatest word of wisdom to our audience? If they have a friend who is grieving, what is the thing that you would suggest they go and, or what is the thing you would suggest they do? Love them exactly where they're at. Think about it outside the box. It's the little things that make a difference. My neighbor showed up the day after Mike died and he embraced me while the firemen were working on him on the driveway he showed up with the Costco size box of good Kleenex. Um, he said, hey, we live in a townhouse complex. Leave the garbage on the step. We'll take it to the bin. Fill those spaces and places in a beautiful way. Show up, lean in. Those moments where it's uncomfortable and you want to step out, that's when you're meant to step in. And be there for your person so that you can embrace that connection. It will allow us all to grieve with grace. Grieve with grace. Heidi, you are such a beautiful soul. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful to share space with you. And I am so grateful for being able to help our listeners in this because people don't know what to say. And everybody who grieves does go into that fine mode, fucked on the inside, nice exterior. So showing up and being there for them is the power of it. It is. It is. Oh my God. Thank you, Heidi. You are so awesome. Thank you. To our listeners, if you have cried and laughed through this, because I know I have, um, please reach out to Heidi if you want more insight. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Lean into grief. She is a beautiful soul. And again, just be there for your people. Just be there. It, it, it's just showing up and seeing them. That is love. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And mwah! thanks for joining me today, my friend. 
If you're struggling through your own what the F moments and are ready for a more heart-centered and loving way forward, it is within you. It's time for a self-love adventure. Head on over to perfectlyimperfect.wtf for everything you need, including an amazing community, The Collective beautiful humans on the same self-love adventure. If what you heard today spoke to you, please leave some love with a review. And don't forget to share this with a friend or 10. I hope to see you on the inside. <laughs>